Lord, you are a good and gracious God. We thank you for this. You are truly worthy of all honor and praise and glory and power. We pray now, Holy Spirit, that you will breathe fresh wind and fresh fire in this place. That you will connect our hearts and our minds to the heart and mind of you, Lord. That through the teaching of your word and through that connection, that your word may have a transforming power in us. I ask all of this to your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, first Sunday in January. How many of you are watching the Bear game today? Okay. How many of you are going to cheer the Bears on today? That's how you're going to cheer them on? Well, I'm thinking you're going to get excited while you're watching them. Am I right? Yeah, and you're probably going to get a little verbal about it too, right? Wow. I'm going to go back to my old coaching days. I'm going to make you guys run a lap or two around here, get some life and energy to you. Anyways, I want to ask some questions, and I want you to verbalize your answers back to me, okay? Okay, how many of you have made a resolution for this new year? Yes, let's hear it. Don't be shy. Okay, don't worry about it if you didn't. Your choice. How many of you ate too much over the holidays? Yes, absolutely. How many of you slept too much over the holidays? Ah, little kids. (laughs) They'll do it to you every time. Okay, how many of you didn't get done all the things you wanted to get done over the holidays because you wasted time? Yes. All right. How many of you ate bad food over the holidays? Yes. All right. We got to say that right. How many of you ate too much at your meal and had to push away kind of overfilled during the holidays? Yes. And how many of you have made resolutions about your health and eating better and exercising and maybe even losing some weight over the holidays? Yes, right? And part of those resolutions are to course correct all the indulgences that we've gotten distracted with over the holidays, right? Well, since this is the first Sunday of the new year, we're the church gathered together, I thought it'd be a great time for us to make a New Year's resolution together. Kind of a recommitment for all the distractions that have kind of taken us off task. What is the task? It's our mission. It's our mission. It's why we exist. And it's easy to get distracted from it. The old saying is, you got to keep the main thing the main thing, right? But it's easy to get distracted with other things. Now, why is it relevant for us to even consider this today? Well, if you're a member of this church, it's relevant because it's about living on mission together. It's what we want to do to make a difference 
in the world that we believe God is leading us to do together. If you're a visitor with us, it will give you some insight into who we are, a picture of what we think is important about what we're supposed to be doing in response to God's love to us and how he wants us to carry that out into the world. It is not a perfect picture. It is not a complete picture. But it is a picture, a snapshot, if you will. And I hope that it will perhaps even inspire you. And I hope it will inspire all of us. At the heart of the mission of the church, the big C church, is the Great Commission. Would anybody doubt that? Good answer. Now, whether you realize it or not, every gospel writer in the New Testament gives us a form of the Great Commission. Did you know that? Everyone. We're going to look at them up here. That's how important it is. In Matthew, we read, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Mark writes this, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And Luke, who writes two volumes... The first volume is his gospel. The second volume we call Acts of the Apostles. In the Acts of the Apostles, he writes, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the Apostle John writes this, Peace be with you to his disciples. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. The Great Commission was so important that every gospel writer included it because every gospel writer remembered that Jesus had commanded it of his disciples. To be honest, it's easy for us to get distracted, isn't it? And distraction was common even for the disciples. This is why Jesus said, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. As we consider the mission, clarity is required. That clarity means that we need to focus on sowing the seeds of God's love and not on the results that come from sowing the seeds of God's love. That is God's produce. We are just to sow the seeds. That is our work as a church. We may help to reap the harvest, but we're not to be focused on that. And one last thing, I want to talk about the motivation for this. The motivation for this is not merit. None of us are going to get a more comfy place in heaven because we've gone out and, and shared God's love with others. 
We do it out of love. We do it as a response to God's love, and we do it out of love for other people because they matter. They matter to God, and so they matter to us. Now, there are those who who would say, oh, you know, you're just looking for scalps, right? And they might accuse us of, of trying to validate ourselves. I have a family member who thinks that way. But I don't share the gospel with her for that reason. I want to spend eternity with her. I want her to know her true value and worth. I want her to be free from the things that plague and, and, and hinder and bind her. I want her to be free. Jesus came to set the captives free. I want her to know him. That's why we do this. The big idea this morning in the message is pretty simple and straightforward. It's to remind us to live on mission. What is that mission? Well, we'll go over it again. Our mission is to connect with people at the well, disciple them in the word, and send them out as empowered disciples to transform the world. The t-shirt version of it, so we all remember, is from the well to the word to the world. The inspiration for our mission statement comes from John chapter 4. It's our text today. It is the account of Jesus' interaction with the Samaritan woman at the well and then later with the Samaritans of that town. What we read in this account in chapter 4 is that as Jesus and the disciples leave Jerusalem and are heading up to Galilee, they pass through Samaria. Now, that's a pretty unusual thing. Jews would have avoided Samaria because it was a Gentile area. It was filled with half-breeds. They had nothing to do with Samaritans. But Jesus takes his band of merry men with him and heads right through Samaria. There's a reason. There's a reason. On the way through there, he's hungry and he's thirsty, and they stop at a town. And the disciples go out to gather some food while Jesus waits at the well. And there, a Samaritan woman comes up, and Jesus looks at her, and they begin this conversation around water. And she might give him some water. And he turns this conversation into something spiritual, of lasting value to this woman, of greater value than even the blessing of doing a kindness to him. He says to her, if you ask, I will give you living water and you will never thirst again. He's talking about the living water of God. He's talking about refreshing her soul and her spirit so she would never thirst again for God because she would know God. 
And she begins to ask questions because she's puzzled by all of this. And the conversation goes on and it evolves into Jesus finally saying, you know, if you knew who you was talking to, you'd get that I'm him. I'm the Messiah. I'm God. And the more she talked to him, the more she began to realize that, yeah, yeah, he was. Something strange was happening in her own heart. And she couldn't explain it all, except to agree that he was the Messiah. He knew things about her that she didn't understand how he knew. Well, at this point in John's gospel account, the disciples return from foraging for food. And they see this woman and they, they wonder, well, why is he, he talking to a woman? I mean, it's not, it's not the acceptable thing to do. And the woman at this point leaves. But she leaves very excited. And she goes to the town. And even though she is a woman of a certain dubious repute, which is why she's drawing water out in the middle of the day, not gathering water in the morning with the rest of the women. She doesn't care. She goes to the townspeople and she says to them, I found the Messiah. Come and see for yourselves. John then leads us into a discussion between Jesus and the disciples. That's our primary text for this morning that I want us to focus on. But in that exchange between Jesus and the Samaritan woman, and then the Samaritan woman going out, you can see the three movements of our mission. Jesus connects with this woman at the well in everyday life. And in that connection, God opens the doors for a spiritual conversation. That conversation turns into a conversation about the truth of God's love expressed through the Messiah. And as that gets more and more revealed, she is discipled in her belief that Jesus is the Messiah. And then she goes off to tell the townspeople to spread the good news and it will have a transforming effect upon that entire town. Because as we're going to read, they're going to ask him to stay for two more days. And many will come to faith. Let's go back now to the account of the disciples with Jesus. You can read up here, you can open your, your Bible or your uh, smartphone, whatever. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. And meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know 
about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say, do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have not entered into their labor. Just as the woman was puzzled when Jesus talked to him about living water after he said that he was thirsty, now the disciples are puzzled by the food that they know nothing about. The reason that the woman was puzzled and the reason that the disciples were puzzled was because they did not yet have the Holy Spirit to bring to them an understanding of what Jesus was talking about. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Both when Jesus talks to the woman and when he talks to the disciples, he does not get distracted by his thirst nor his hunger. He keeps the main thing the main thing. There is an urgency in Jesus to carry on his Father's work while he can. He only has an appointed time in his life, a short time. We know it's only going to be about three years in total when he can impact the world with his teaching, with his healing, with the truth about God. But there is more work for him to do. That comes at the end of that. When he will go to the cross. And he will become a living sacrifice. An atonement for sin. Assuaging or turning away the wrath of God. So that God may look upon sinners with love and forgiveness. And this will come through his suffering and his death and his blood. Jesus comes to this town in Samaria because he knows that God has a divine appointment for him. He has a divine appointment for those people. We're not told why, but we know that Jesus knows it because he says to the disciples, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Let's read the rest of that text because you'll understand what that means. Then many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did, she said. And when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. 
And after the two days, he departed for Galilee. What we see for Jesus is just how precious time is. He speaks about it to the disciples when he talks about sowing and reaping together. The harvest is a metaphor. It is eschatological language for the end. When God will harvest all who have come to faith in him. Amos says that in these end times, there will be reaping and sowing going on at the same time. And what Jesus says is, look, you know that when you sow the seeds, the end of sowing seeds, four months later, it's time to harvest. You can see it. You know it. But let me tell you, something has changed with this eschatological time. The Bible says we're living in the end times now. We're waiting upon Jesus to return and bring history to the end. And all things into judgment. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And the kingdom of God will be established forever. With people who make their dwelling with him. This is a time of reaping and sowing. And it's all going on at the same time. It's a precious time that we live in, folks. It's important. We should be as urgent about the time we have as Jesus was about the time that he lived in. Jesus tells us that in his Gospels. When he says, be ready. Don't be asleep. Be watchful. I love how the Samaritan woman goes to share the love of God that she discovered in Jesus with others. She doesn't say, you know, you do not have this. You're a sorry, sad sack. But it's over there. She doesn't say that. She doesn't come from a position of better than. She's a woman who's been outcast and spurned and rejected. And yet, love fills her heart so she goes to the people who have rejected her, who have mistreated her. And she says, come and see if this isn't the Messiah. Make a decision for yourself. And the townspeople came to see for themselves. Did everyone come? Probably not. Was everyone saved? Well, it doesn't say that. It just says many. But nevertheless, God was doing a great work because this was in a divine appointment that God had prepared for these people and for Jesus and for the disciples. And when we think about our week and our mission, and when we leave this place, we should be aware that God is already out there working in the lives of people who don't even know that he's working in their lives.
And He's speaking into their hearts. And He's preparing them for conversations that we may have, for love that we may share, or a service that we may give that can make the difference. All the difference for them. If we will but live on mission and be used by God to step into those divine appointments, do we know Sometimes, more often than not, we just kind of step into them like we might step into something else that we want to get off the bottom of our shoe. Only this is much nicer. Because Jesus kept the main thing, the main thing, many came to saving faith. Now, what is this to us? Why does this even matter to us? Well, I want to say it matters to us because of the name that we bear. Christian. Little Christ. We are called to be Jesus to others. We are to be like Jesus. What does that mean in the context of this? to do the Father's will and work while we can. It cannot be an afterthought. It must be fundamental. We're to be like Jesus, understanding that there is a limited time while we can do the Father's will and work. Whether it is because our days have come to an end, or whether it is because... It is harvesting time, and Jesus is returning. We can be like Jesus, urgent about doing the Father's will and work by living on mission, by remembering God's love for us and helping others to see His love for them. It is the most important and kindest gift that any of us can give to another person. Whether they are our daughters or our sons or our grandmothers or our fathers, our friends at work, our neighbors, or even strangers that we meet upon the street. There is no greater gift of love than you could give to anybody than to help them to know about and to entertain the possibility of God's love for them. So, how do we do this? How do we carry this out together? Well, the first thing I want to say is exactly what the title is. Keep the main thing the main thing. We have lots of important things in our life. And lots of fun things that are enjoyable. 
and lots of other distractions. And all of that is not a problem as long as we keep the main thing, the main thing. Remember to live on purpose, not to live on accident. It is good then for us to be refreshing our memory today and we're going to refresh our memory next Sunday and the Sunday after and the Sunday after as we look at how we can engage in this great loving purpose through hospitality and invitation. It is good for us to reprioritize and live life on purpose. You know, I, I, I do not forget the mission of our church, but I can tell you that over the last 18 months, I have gotten so distracted from it, I am living way off mission, and I am not happy about it. And it's no one's fault but mine. One of the things I realize is, this is going to sound strange, because a lot of you like to go hang out at coffee shops, right? Are there other places you guys like to hang out? The gym? The piano? Somebody's house? One of the places I like to go hang out is the gun club or the shooting range. I grew up blowing stuff up with my dad. It was fun. I like it. You have a well-armed pastor among you, although I'm not packing. (laughs) And one of the things I love about shooting is that I can go be there with someone, and I often am. Or if I'm not there with someone, there'll be somebody I'll meet there. And we can just talk and have great conversation and fun. And it's easy for that enjoyable connection to naturally move to a spiritual conversation. It's not unusual for that to happen at all with me. And I don't have to push it too far. I don't have to bring it to any result or end. I just need to sow the seeds. And I've done that many, many, many times. But in the last 18 months, I have been out to the gun club or the range about six times. So that's probably six, if I did it once a week, out of about 70 sometimes. The gun club's not important, but what it tells me is I'm not busy being with other people living on mission being with people outside of the church, making time for them because they matter, enjoying their company and allowing them to enjoy my company and to realize I'm a normal person. And that many of us who are believers are really quite normal and even fun people. In fact, some of you may have made a resolution like I did this year. My resolution was to be more appropriate this year. 
I've already broken it. But I'm going to get back on that hobby horse and ride it. <laughs> Maybe you've lost the main thing too. So let's keep the main thing the main thing. Here's the second thing. Let's work together at this. It is a rare person who is able to go off and live on mission alone. Very rare. Most of us are going to miss it, get distracted from it, and lose our way. But when we're together, we have an opportunity to build up and encourage each other. And even to do some of that together. One of the things my wife and I, we've talked about getting together with more people more often. And one of the things that we decided to do, and God bless her because she's so much better at this than I am, she made a quick phone call to a few people and we got some believers together with a couple of non-believers. One of them is my daughter. She had a ball with everybody. She had a conversation with one of our deaconesses. It was a good conversation, too. It was great. She saw a bunch of Christian people actually having fun. It was a good time. These are important things that we can do together with each other. It just makes sense. We need this also, one another to encourage and strengthen each other. In fact, this was the conclusion of our natural church development team. They said, we need to be telling more of our stories. Stories of divine appointments with people. And they said, we need to find ways to partner with each other more, serving beyond the walls of our church. And they said, we need more teaching and more training in this, which is precisely why this series is taking place and why Pastor Tim is teaching in the gymnasium how to live this out. And I'm going to tell you one more way to engage in it as I get to the last point of my message. So let's keep the main thing the main thing. Let's work together, right, in this. Encouraging each other, strengthening each other, finding places to partner together to make a difference in our local community, but also just with our, our friends and, and, and coworkers or whatever. Here's the third thing. Let's be urgent about it and raise the temperature around here. Because time is short. I'm getting old. In fact, I'm on the verge of becoming decrepit. That's how old I am. I'm almost a decade older than my father was when he went and left this world. So I think I'd like my time to, to really count for something. None of us knows the number of our days. It's written in the book of life. So we ought to be urgent about this because this is of great value. 
People are of great value. Building into them with love is of great value. It makes a difference. This was one of the Natural Church Development Team's conclusion as well, that the temperature around here has to get raised. So let me talk to you about raising the temperature. I'm going to pull out my old coach. Maybe, just maybe, the Spirit of God will inspire you as I do. Now when I talk about raising the temperature around here, it may scare some of you. Are we going to get fanatical? Is this going to require unbelievable amounts of time now and I'm going to have to take away from my family or my work or, or you know, we're going to become these crazy Christians? No. Not necessarily. Consider water. Water exists in three states. It exists as ice, as a solid. It exists as water, as a liquid. But it also exists as a gas in different states. Now between 33 degrees and 211 degrees, it exists as water. But when you raise the temperature one degree to 212 degrees, you know what happens? It releases 1,600 times the kinetic energy turns into a gas that we call steam. And steam can be very powerful. What if raising the temperature around here is only raising it one degree? What if it's only raising it two degrees? What if it's only raising it just three degrees? What if that's all it takes? Because God's doing the work. Jesus said we can do nothing without him. But for those who abide in him and he in them, he says they will bear much fruit. Imagine what might happen if we together prayed and trusted Jesus just a little bit more. Imagine what might happen if we together love the people beyond these walls just a little bit more. Can you imagine that with me? Can you see that in your mind's eye? Can you hold that with some faith and trust him for that? This is what I'd like to ask you to do. I want to ask you to pray about this. I want us to pray about it as a church. And I want us to keep praying about it, asking God to raise the temperature of our desires and our actions to reach people with his love. I also want to tell you about a new initiative that's going to come out this spring. We hope to launch it in mid-February. It's something that Marcia and I deeply feel committed to. Some of you may have heard about Alpha. Alpha is a program 
in which people are invited to come to a dinner. It's done outside of the context of the church. So the people who have issues with the church don't have to bring those issues to, to this time together. It's a place for them to be able to explore some spiritual things about God, in particular, the Christian faith. And what we do is we gather together to have a meal and chat with each other. And then there's a video that we watch. And then there's a 30-minute discussion. And there are 12 of these. And what I can tell you is that all over the world, there are people coming to faith because of it. It's meant specifically for people who have spiritual questions, also for people maybe who are new believers, who don't have a very strong faith. It can help them work through some of those things as well. But what I would ask you to do over these next few weeks is to pray about this. Is there somebody you know who could benefit from this, who might be interested in coming to a dinner with you, one dinner, a kickoff dinner, to consider Alpha together? And then after that meal and that time, they can figure out whether or not they want to come back. And if they do, they can't. So I'd like you to be praying about that. And I'm going to tell you more about it over the next couple of weeks. This has had great results when it's understood and approached as the work of the Holy Spirit. It has to be the work of the Holy Spirit. So I would ask you to pray that this initiative would be a movement of the Holy Spirit in the church. I hope and pray that that's what's quickened Marcia's heart and my heart to want to do this. We're also going to need some people to help us with this, probably about six, to carry this out. It'll be done one night a week. We'll tell you more about that. And I pray that in this new year, God will bring that greater sense of urgency to us in our lives. That we'll have more God in our lives this year. I pray that you'll have more God in your life. And I pray that you'll have more of God to be able to share with others. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for all your good promises. We thank you that you love and care about us. We thank you that um, you have a mission that you call us to and that we have a church to be able to carry that out with. Help us to live on mission in our personal lives, but also, Lord, help us as a collective body to find ways to live that mission out together, to encourage each other and strengthen each other. And I pray, Lord, that you'll raise the temperature here and quicken 
what is happening. That, Lord, we might be sowing seeds, the fruit of which you'll produce, and we leave into your hands. We ask this all, Jesus, in your name. Amen.